0: Give me. Who's your one? It's a wonderful life. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn them over to John chapter 1 verses 40 through 42. John chapter 1 verses 40 through 42. I invite you to stand with me if you're able on a reading of God's word. And he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Caiaphas, which is translated Peter. May God have blessed and read him his word. and may be seated. It's a Wonderful Life was an American classic Christmas movie that came out in 1946. It's actually based on the book The Greatest Gift Ever, which was written in 1939 which, oddly enough, is the year that Margie graduated high school. So she, <laughs> she may have had to write a paper on it. I don't know. So <laughs> but it's one of the most beloved Christmas movies of all time, even though the fact that it didn't do well in its initial release in the movie theaters. It did. not Matter of fact, it, on its initial release, it didn't even break even. But yet it's considered one of the top 20 movies of all time. Some polls put it as as, as number 11. But as the story goes there, on Christmas Eve, 1945, George Bailey, which is played by James Stewart, is contemplating suicide. Life has fallen apart. Life has gone the opposite direction that he is planning on it going. And his friends and his family are are praying for him. They're, They're praying for God to intervene. And an angel that has been trying to earn his wings is sent back to earth to help George. The angel shows George several flashbacks of his lifetime. In 1919, George was 12 years old and his brother was out playing on a frozen pond and broke through the ice and George saved his brother from drowning. But during the saving his brother, he lost the hearing in one of his ears. George, after school, had a a job working in a drugstore. The pharmacist there in the drugstore had just lost his son due to complications to the flu and still distraught going back to work, he he accidentally mixed something into another child's medicine that he shouldn't have that would have killed him. The angel reminded George that he was the one that pointed that out to the pharmacist and ultimately saved the boy's life. In 1928, George planned to tour the world and then uh, attend college. At high school graduation, George was reintroduced to the girl that he had had a, a crush on all through school. And he is, as he's walking her home that evening, news comes to him that his father has just had a stroke and passed away. George postpones his trip to be able to sort out his father's affairs. He ends up staying and, and running his father's business. He ends up marrying the, the girl that he had his crush on all throughout school. George wanted to serve his country in World War II, but wasn't allowed. But then through a series of, of accidents that took there at the, at, at the bank and people taking advantage of those accidents, George is now looking at possible criminal charges coming his way. George desperately tries to, to, to fix the problem. He figures that if he can borrow money against his life insurance policy, maybe he can get out of the situation that he's in. He finds out that he needs $8,000, but he can only borrow $500. But if he were dead, His family could cash in the life insurance policy for $15,000, bringing an end to the law sale. So George decides that his life life is is worth more dead, or he's worth more dead than he is alive. So he calls the police to come and arrest him, and goes down to the bar and, and starts to get drunk. He prays for help, but then decides suicide is the only way out. So he goes up to the bridge to jump off. But his guardian angel gets there first and jumps off the river, jumps off into the river there. And rather than killing himself, George decides that he'll save the angel. George, after getting the angel to the bank, says this, you know, I wish that I'd never been born. The guardian angel says, Okay, let me show you what life would have been like if you hadn't been born. The angel shows Joey, George the pharmacist the day that he's being released from prison for manslaughter because ultimately nobody was there to stop the mix-up in the medicine and he killed the boy. It shows his uncle that had to be institutionalized because he couldn't step in and run his brother's George's daddy's business after he died. George goes to to meet his mother, runs up to give her a hug. She has no idea who he is because he was never born. George's brother that he saved from drowning went on to serve in World War II and shot down a, a kamikaze plane that was headed for a troop transport. But since George wasn't alive, his brother drowned and never made it to World War II to save those men on the, on the troop transport. Now George is grateful after seeing all that for the life that he had had. He begins to realize how wonderful a life that it was. And he goes home to, to wait for his arrest only to find out that the people in the town had rallied together and raised the $8,000 that he needed. George realized it had been a wonderful life. But the question this morning is, when God looks at our lives, what defines a wonderful life? When God looks at the way we live our lives and what we have done and when ultimately we stand before the pearly gates, we stand in judgment of God, what what is God looking for to say that he or She? has lived a wonderful life. How does God define a life well lived? Andrew is is Peter's brother. Andrew, of course, one of the the four closest disciples that Jesus has there in his his inner circle of disciples, his inner circle of friends, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. But, But Andrew is the one that... We know the least about. He's the one that Scripture tells us the, the least about over compared to the four men there. And for some reason, Andrew is always in the background of Peter, James, and John. Never gets the notoriety that the other three men do. Here our background is the same that it's been over the pretty much the last five weeks. You know, John the Baptist has has been preaching, he's been baptizing, he's been preparing the, the world for the, the coming of the Messiah, telling people that you know, he's baptizing with water, but somebody's coming that is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, that he's, uh, he, that John himself is not worthy to, to bend over and untie his sandals. And we see the beginning of, of Jesus' ministry, and he's beginning to, to call his disciples. And again, the, the same area that we've been in for the, the last five weeks. But the first thing I want to look at this morning he saw the value of individual people. He saw the value of individual people. Go to verse number 40 and 41. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is tr- which translated means Christ. Andrew appreciated the value of one person. He re- appreciated the value of of his one brother. He appreciated and and worked on people one at a time. Andrew didn't go to the group. He didn't go to his whole family. He went to his one brother there and said, Look, I found the Messiah. I found the one that prophecy has been foretelling. I found the one that we have been looking for. He didn't go to the crowds of the large gatherings. Almost every time we see Andrew in Scripture, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. He brought Peter to Jesus. And as we're going to see in a few minutes, he he brought the little boy that had the loaves and fishes to Jesus. Andrew is considered to be Jesus' first disciple. He's considered to be the first home missionary because he he went and brought people there, particularly his brother to Christ. He's considered the first foreign missionary. Over in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 22, we see that he was leading Greeks to Jesus. He was leading people that, that spoke a different language and a different nationality to Jesus. But what if Andrew had never been born? What if Andrew never lived? What if he, he, he never had the impact on this earth that he ever had? What if he never existed? Yeah, the, the whole New Testament would be significantly different. If Andrew had never been born, who would have witnessed to Peter? If Andrew hadn't, uh, hadn't witnessed to Peter, would anybody have ever witnessed to him? Would, would his brother Peter ever have gotten saved? Would somebody have been there? You know, somebody else would have to preach the, the sermon on the day of Pentecost. We'd lose two books of the New Testament, First and 2 Peter. In John, the sixth chapter, verses one through nine it says, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of, of Galilee or Tiberias. And a great multitude was following him because they were seeing, seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Jesus therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing the great multitude was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread that we may that we these may eat? And this he w- he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he intended to do. Philip answered him, two de- hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient enough sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little." And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, "There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many?" Of course you know the rest of the story there that Jesus takes those handful of loaves and handfuls of, of fish there and, and feeds the, the 5,000 as scripture describes there. But if, if Andrew hadn't brought that little boy, if Andrew had never lived, if Andrew had never been born, if Andrew had never brought this little boy to Jesus Christ, how many of that multitude of thousands of people would have stayed to hear Jesus that day? I mean, it's, they're hungry. Stomachs are growling. But how many would have stayed? How many would have never heard the good news of Jesus if Andrew had never been born? The New Testament would be greatly different if it weren't for Andrew. When we think about the four disciples that are closest to Jesus, Peter, boldness, preaching on the day of Pentecost, standing before thousands. The Holy Spirit is is moved amongst the believers, and Peter is standing out there telling them about the resurrected Savior. Peter reached thousands of people, went on to be the leader of the disciples after Jesus was gone. We think about James and John. Jesus called them the sons of thunder. They were bold. They were not they care who they proclaimed the good news to. They didn't care who, whose feelings they hurt, as long as they shared the good news of Jesus Christ. If they, they would later say, you know, if somebody didn't want to hear the gospel, they say, you know, call down fire from heaven and light them up. Boldness. But then there's Andrew. Andrew's only mentioned a handful of times in the New Testament. And honestly, most of those times that Andrew's mentioned is, is just in passing. But he saw the value of reaching one person. He saw the value of going to one individual, one brother, one little boy on that hillside, to tell them about Jesus. Scripture emphasizes the first thing that Peter, excuse me, first thing that, that Andrew did after he got saved. Andrew met Jesus, Jesus said, come and follow me, come give your life to me, give give up this fish and come and be obedient to me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And the first thing that that Andrew did after he got saved, he went and told Peter. Every person that has ever given their heart to Jesus Christ, every person that has ever walked the aisle, every person that has ever prayed the prayer, every person that has ever repented of their sins, knows somebody that does not have a relationship with Christ. Every Christian, every person in this room today, knows somebody that has never turned their life over to Jesus. Who's your one? It's a wonderful life. When we see the value of telling one person about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful life when we see the importance of going to one person and saying, Look, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Andrew was known for bringing people one at a time to Jesus. He didn't bring the crowds to Jesus. That was his his brother's calling. That was was what Peter was known for, for for preaching to the multitudes. Who's your one? Let me ask you by a show of hands. Who knows who Edward Kimball is? Mr. Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. He led Dwight L. Moody to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Reverend Moody went went on to be one of the greatest evangelists of the the 1800s. J. Wilbur Chapman got saved at at one of D.L. Moody's revivals. Billy Sunday got saved at one of, of, of Wilbur Chaplin's revivals. Billy Sunday played Major League Baseball and was one of the most influential evangelists of the early 1900s. And at a Billy Sunday revival, Mordecai Ham got saved. And at a Mordecai Ham revival, Billy Graham got saved. And millions that heard Billy Graham preach can all be traced back to one Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball, talking to one little boy, telling him about who Jesus Christ is. Who's your one? If we're not serious about who's our one, there's a ripple effect throughout history. There's a ripple effect through our, our, our families, there's a ripple effect through through our homes, as a ripple effect through our communities if we don't take serious the good, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with one individual. What if you never share Christ with them? What if it's a little child sitting in a wana that's aggravated the absolute mess out of you? <laughs> what if you don't tell them about Jesus? What if it's the... the cousin that you're sitting across the table from at a, at a family reunion but you don't tell them about Jesus one of us the coworker that's sitting across the desk or the cubicle across the room for you or on the on the operating the machine on the the opposite side of uh, the the room from you but you'd never tell him about Jesus Christ what's going to happen as I mentioned a few weeks ago and I hope I'm wrong but I honestly don't believe before Jesus Christ comes back, I don't, I don't ever believe there'll be another Billy Graham. I hope I'm wrong. But there'll always be plenty of Edward Kimballs. There'll always be plenty of Andrews because each and every one of us can tell one person about Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us can share the love of Christ with one individual. Each and every one of us can invite one person to church and make that difference in one individual because ultimately we... We can see what the difference it makes in their life, but we have no idea what effect that has on the rest of their family and the rest of the people that they come in contact with. See the value of telling your one about Jesus. See the value of sharing the love of Christ with them. See the importance of inviting them to church. Andrew was a a man. He's just days, maybe a couple weeks from from John the Baptist baptizing him. But he had a passion for bringing people to Christ one at a time. May we have that same passion. Second thing I want to look at this morning, he saw the value of the insignificant gifts. He saw the value of insignificant gifts. Over in John chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? You ever read through 1 and 2 Peter, you'll read a lot about the suffering as a Christian. If you read through those two books there, you'll learn a lot about what the early church had to deal with 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 persecution. You'll see a lot about Christians being killed for their faith. You'll see about families being torn apart. You'll see about Christians losing their homes. You'll see a lot about the suffering that went on there in the, the early church. But as Acts begins there, as you read through that, and we see on the, the day of Pentecost as the, the Holy Spirit came down upon, upon believers as he spread through them there, particularly in the context here we've been looking at, spreads in, in Peter's life, and Peter has the, the boldness to go out and speak and to preach before the, the multitudes, before the crowds. He goes out with a fire in his belly and is sharing Jesus Christ with everybody that is in, in there on the streets in Jerusalem. As we read about what Peter accomplished throughout the New Testament, how, how bold he was after Jesus' resurrection, we probably think, you know, there, there's a man I'd like to meet. There's somebody that I would like to talk to. There's somebody that I would like to, get to talk to and get some advice on, on, on how evangelism works, on how sharing of Christ works. You know, there's somebody that I would like to spend time with. But I honestly believe that if we went up to Peter... And said, so let me talk to you about everything you did for Jesus. Let me, let me ask you some questions about your faith and everything that you accomplished for the gospel's sake. I believe he would pause and call his brother Andrew over. Old Andrew not, never got the notoriety that, that Peter did. Andrew lived in his brother's shadow. But I believe that Peter would recognize the fact that he would have never been able to do what he did if Andrew didn't do what he did. Peter would have never been able to preach on Pentecost if Andrew hadn't shared Christ with him. Peter would have never took Jesus' place as the head of the disciples after Jesus went back to heaven unless Andrew first did what he did. Andrew knew Peter was, was good at public speaking. Andrew knew that, that uh, Peter didn't mind getting in front of groups. He knew that Peter had a boldness about him. And he knew what Peter could accomplish. In our verses here we see that a great crowd has followed Jesus. They wanted to to hear him preach, they wanted to hear him teach. He says there in those verses that they had seen the the healings that Jesus had done in in, in the people's lives. And and they wanted to be a part of that. They wanted to see it done some more. They wanted to to have it done in some of their lives. And it's getting about meal time. And oddly enough, it's it's Sunday and Chick-fil-A is closed. Philip looks around at the crowd and says, great day in the morning. What are we going to do? Scripture tells us that it's 5,000 were gathered there. Of course, as I have mentioned before, during this time, you know, right or wrong, they only counted the men. So on top of that 5,000, you've got to add the number of women that were there, the number of children that, that were there. So it's, it's like thousands of people are gathered there that day. And Philip says, Lord, what are we going to do? He says, even if we had 20 pieces of silver, we couldn't give a half a cracker to everybody that is here. Peter, excuse me, Philip is overwhelmed by the size of the crowd. He's overwhelmed by the need that is there. He's overwhelmed by, by how many people that are there. Their stomachs are growling. They're thinking about leaving, Go and find something to eat. But not Andrew. Andrew knew that no gift was too insignificant for Jesus to use. This little boy may have came up to, to Philip. Says, said, sir, I've got five loaves and two fishes, if Jesus can use it. Philip may have said, you know, get out of my way, boy. You're too young. Your lunch is too small. That's too insignificant. But Andrew saw that that gift was not too insignificant. Peter, excuse me, Andrew knew that that boy should be brought to Christ. That no person, no gift is insignificant in Jesus' hands. Over in Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a certain poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow, out, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they put out of their surplus into the offering. But she gave out of her poverty, putting in all she had to live on. And these verses here, these men were in the temple. They had a sack full of gold coins and and silver coins and they were holding them up over the the offering there a foot or two and and dropping them into the plate. So, Oh man, look at how how that gold, listen to how that gold sounds when it's clinking in the plate. One of the other men says there, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let let me show you what the difference in a $50 gold piece sounds hitting the plate versus a $100 gold piece sounds hitting the plate. And the crowds we see there were amazed. You know, These men were we're, we're giving great, amount, great amounts of money there. But here comes a poor widow, puts in two small copper coins. And Jesus says, this woman has given more than these men. They gave out, gave out of their wealth. They gave out of what they had extra. But this woman gave all that she had. God can use the insignificant." God desires to work through the insignificant gifts. God desires to work through the insignificant people that, or, or what the world looks at as insignificant people. God's ability to use a gift or a person is not hindered or enhanced by its size. God can take any person, any gift, any weakness to bring glory unto himself. Jesus took Andrew's faithfulness, took his faith, and he took this little boy's insignificant gift and impacted thousands of people. But it all started with Andrew reaching out to one little insignificant boy. Andrew's name in the Greek means manly, it means tough, it means strong. And Andrew was, he was, was a fisherman by trade. But the most manly thing that he ever did was witness to people one at a time. Let me tell you, I've met the Messiah. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. Who do you know that the world may see as as small or insignificant? Maybe, you know, that's the way the world sees them, too old, too young, too poor, too uneducated. But we need to see people the way Andrew sees them. Why? That brings us to our third thing. He saw the value of inconspicuous gifts over in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 6. Not by the way of eye service as man pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Paul here is telling the church at Ephesus you know, that, that how they should serve God. You know, he says, you know, don't serve God to to be seen, don't serve God for recognition, don't serve God for a thank you, don't serve God for a a pat on the back, serve God from your heart. Serve God because you love him, serve God because you want to serve him. And this is a picture of Andrew, humble servant, loved the Lord, didn't mind being in the shadow of Peter, didn't mind Peter and uh, James and John getting more notoriety than he did. I didn't mind them getting the recognition. Andrew, one of the four closest disciples to, to Jesus. But yet his name is only mentioned nine times in the New Testament. Again, most of it just in passing. But he was all right with that. Because he was serving his Lord. He had the heart of a servant. Doesn't have a book of the Bible named after him. Never preached to the multitudes. Never started a church. The Bible doesn't tell us, but tradition tells us that that Andrew is the one that that took the gospel to now what is Russia and Scotland. As he was was passing through uh, Greece, he led the wife of a Roman governor there to to Jesus. And the Roman governor there in in southern Greece was so infuriated that that Andrew had gone one-on-one with his wife and so infuriated that Andrew had led her to the Lord that he crucified him. But tradition tells us that he didn't, he didn't nail him to the cross. He tied him there because he wanted his suffering to be prolonged. And tradition tells us that Andrew hung there on that cross for two days before he died, but still bringing people one at a time to Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not. That he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. God specializes in using the insignificant. Here's the challenge. You got 47 weeks left in this year. We wrap up today, who's your one? Get your one to Christ. Get your one to church. Get your one to to know what you've got, the the hope that you have, the assurance that you have. It doesn't matter if they drive a a Rolls Royce or a Pinto. It doesn't matter if they can sing or don't even know which way to hold a hymn book. It doesn't matter if they're wearing Vera Wang or Walmart. God specializes in using the insignificant. When God looks back at your life, will he see a wonderful life? Will he see a life that was used to bring glory and honor to him? Like I said, this, this wraps up the five weeks of who's your one. But my prayer is it doesn't end here. The sermon series ends here. It's, it's done today. But unless you and I continue it in our lives, unless you and I take it out of of these four walls, nothing's going to change. Unless you and I commit to sharing one on one Jesus Christ, everything goes on the same. But think about the impact that it can make, the impact that it will make on somebody's life if we'll do what Andrew did and go say, Hey, I found the Messiah. Let me tell you about him. Our Hymn of Invitations, Hymn 524. Maybe you want to come this morning and, and pray for your old one. Maybe you want to pray, come this morning and say, Lord, give me the opportunity after opportunity to be able to, to make a difference in their life so that they can know this Jesus that I've built my eternity upon. In number 524 let's stand and sing.